Managing your 401k is hard. Bloom isn't. See what you could be doing to make your 401k better by getting a free analysis at bloom401k.com slash fool. Now that's bloom with three O's. Bloom401k.com slash fool. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Happy May. And it's going to be a happy May for this podcast because I have queued up for you some wonderful interviews, conversations that I had in and around the Conscious Capitalism Conference, which took place in Dallas at the end of April and the start of May of this year, 2018. It was a great confluence of people from around America, in some cases the world, often entrepreneurs, people who have great stories to tell about doing good work in the world through business. The goal of conscious capitalism is to elevate humanity through business, through doing business better, whether it's better culture, better products, better vision, better purpose, better leadership. All of these things come together and are so much in evidence at the conscious capitalism meetings and summits that I attend one or two times a year as a board member. So I dub May Conscious Capitalism Month for this podcast. It was probably like National Pizza Day at the start of May or something like that. But I know one thing, whether or not the Institute of Conscious Capitalism makes May its month, that's what it's going to be on this podcast. So a lot of our work this week will come from the interviews that we've had here in Dallas, Texas, where the Conscious Capitalism Conference is occurring. In fact, I'm pretty sure you're going to hear some ambient noise underneath our conversation throughout not just this week's podcast, but a few others this month, because there were 800 attendees of this conference, a boisterous lot and a lot happening behind us. I was pretty much buttonholing and pulling these bright lights, putting them in front of our microphone for this podcast, but there's a lot more busy people outside this room. In fact, I had enough good conversations that we're going to have a couple of specials this month. Rule Breaker Extras, which will be weekend listening pleasures. So if you have that extra jog, you may not have that work commute where you enjoy podcasts on a weekday basis, but maybe through the R&R that comes with many of our weekends, you'll make time for some special conversations that we'll have as Rule Breaker Extras running this month coming out of my Conscious Capitalism interviews. And I can tell you, since I've already done them, this work's already been done, They're pretty awesome, and I know you're going to enjoy it. What I have queued up for you today is a conversation with two of the foremost thinkers and leaders within the movement. I have Raj Sisodia, longtime academic, author, thought leader for Conscious Capitalism, and Alexander McCobin, who is now the reigning CEO of Conscious Capitalism, the organization. Now, sitting with me today is Raj Sisodia, professor of global business at Babson College. Raj co-founded and co-chairs Conscious Capitalism, an organization that's founded on the philosophy that free enterprise capitalism is the most powerful economic system for social cooperation and human progress ever conceived when practiced consciously. He's the author of a handful of great business books, among them a favorite of mine, Firms of Endearment, How World-Class Companies Profit from Passion and Purpose. And also joining us is Alexander McCobin, CEO of Conscious Capitalism. That's right, CEO of Conscious Capitalism. And as CEO, Alexander leads Conscious Capitalism's greater mission to elevate humanity by improving practice and perception of business, an ambitious mission indeed. I should also mention that I now serve on the board of Conscious Capitalism, which is what has brought us all together today. Raj and Alexander, what a delight it is to have you. 
Thank you. Happy to be with you, David. Same. Thank you so much. <clears throat> you bet. Let me start with Raj, because Raj, you were out there before Alexander and I were even thinking about this. Maybe we intuited or valued business, but Raj, could you just start by telling us what is conscious capitalism and does the world need it? Well, the world absolutely needs it and we all would benefit tremendously from it were this to become the default mode of business. Fundamentally, conscious capitalism is a rethinking of the foundational ideas around capitalism, still rooted in freedom, voluntary exchange, creating value for each other, serving each other's needs, but doing that not just from a place of self-interest alone. Right? We recognize that human beings have this drive to purpose. We recognize that human beings also have a need to care. In fact, uh, the, the book Wealth of Nations was preceded uh, by Adam Smith, another book called uh, The Theory of Moral Sentiment, 17 years earlier. The Theory of Moral Sentiment. Moral Sentiments, Sentiments, which was essentially about the human need to care, that we, we, we want to see our fellow human beings prosper and flourish, not because there's something in it for us. It's not always about self-interest. And I think we left that out. Capitalism was built on one pillar alone, self-interest. And over time, that became somewhat toxic because you ended up using other people to achieve your self-interest. And if you had more power, that could result in conditions where, you know, people, workers especially, uh, started having working conditions that were unsafe, that were onerous, that were uh, leading to all kinds of uh, challenges and difficulties and ultimately militant unionism, socialism, communism. All of these things, I believe, arose because capitalism essentially operated without a heart and without a sense of purpose. So if we had incorporated that other pillar of caring, putting people at the center, it's all about ultimately why do we do any of this? It's about human flourishing. And I think we kind of lost sight of that and became purely about self-interest, defined very narrowly as money for the owner, right? And so we need to broaden from that. So we need to ask the question, why do we get into business? Why do we start a business? The default answer forever was, profit and money. That's and now right. we say there's a purpose. There should be. Just like for us in our lives, it would be an empty life if you, if I, David, if I asked you, why did you start Motley Fool? And, and you say, because we saw an opportunity to make money. Well, that's, To maximize shareholder value, right? Yeah, or that's in that case, your own, your own value, right? <laughs> but the fact is that you started, we got a passion for something. You were trying to change something in the world that's right. right? through the business. So why do we exist has a different answer. What do we do has a different answer. It's not just we make money, right? We create value and we serve all these different stakeholders, right? And who are we as leaders? It's not just command and control, you know, performance-driven, numbers-driven, bottom line, uh, driven by power, ego, and uh, self-enrichment. But this is about conscious leaders who care about people, care about the purpose, right? So they've kind of gone beyond just the purely self uh, idea. They're, they're really to serve in a way. And how do we operate? So that's where the culture comes in. Again, Motley Fool is a wonderful example of a culture that's High-performing, you need that, but also fun. It allows for individual expression in a beautiful way. Everybody is part of the team. Everybody is together. You know, people look forward to going to work. One of the saddest statistics we have is that heart attacks are highest on Monday morning. On Monday uh, morning. Yeah, 20% higher. And worldwide, only 15% of people are engaged in their work. In other words, just engaged. I'm not talking about passionate. Only 15% are engaged, mm. right? So you don't really look forward to work and you look forward to your time outside of work. That's why we have, thank God, it's Friday on the other end and we have heart attacks highest on. It's on a sad commentary that we have taken this institution which is rooted in freedom and dignity and serving others and we have reduced it to something which for most people feels like a burden, something to be survived. Mm -hmm. And very few people are flourishing as a result. Thank you, Raj. That was really well put. Alexander, I'm wondering how much of that for you as a young man, 
was intuitive. How much of this movement that you're helping to lead came to you through your reading or your experience? As a millennial, I have a combination of both the experience of conscious capitalism being the way that I think business should be done, as well as the opportunity to have done a fair amount of reading and study on this. Before I came to conscious capitalism, I nearly became an academic like Raj. I was studying philosophy and was going to write a dissertation on a new theory of corporate moral responsibility premised around the purpose of a business. But through my studies, I actually realized I didn't want to just read and write about this. I wanted to go and instantiate these principles in the real world. And actually, thanks to conscious capitalism, decided to dedicate myself to organizing in order to make a difference in the world. And I think for a lot of millennials and Gen Z after us, this is just the way business should be done. The idea that business is solely about maximizing net income and that people should sacrifice their values when they enter the workplace is anathema to the way that we conceive of business from the beginning. So to a certain extent, this is the future of business. This is on its way. We want to bring it about more quickly, though, to help more people out and to elevate humanity in ways that we can't even conceive right now at a faster speed. And Alexander, do you have kind of data or a view of the world where you could say X percent of, let's say, American business is what we might call consciously capitalistic and Y percent is not? Can you give us kind of a take the temperature of where we are today and give us a sense of how odd are we or how common are we as conscious capitalists? We don't have any good statistics to offer for this. Anecdotally, though, I think there are more conscious capitalists out there than we even realize. So many more business leaders are coming to us on a weekly basis saying, I've always practiced business this way. I just didn't know there was a term for it. And more importantly, that number is continuing to grow. Ten years ago, when conscious capitalism was first being articulated, this was sort of a sideshow to the business world. It was, it was something that most business leaders thought was crazy. Nowadays, it's becoming much more mainstream. When you have people like Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, talking about how CEOs need to adopt a higher purpose and stakeholder orientation, you know a change is coming, and we can see that from our work. Uh, did you, have you ever, has either of you met Larry Fink before? Yes, I met him uh, a couple of weeks after he wrote that famous letter in the New York Times article that followed it, and he had just been to Davos, where it created quite a storm on both sides. A lot of people, of course, supportive, a lot of people saying, who died and made Larry Fink God? (laughs) Why is he telling us he should just invest and, you know, decide what to do there and not try to change us? You know, so, but I think there's resistance, as there always is, when somebody's coming from a different mental model, a different paradigm. I see most people, most CEOs, Most business schools are still rooted in that traditional paradigm, and that mental model is deeply fixed in people's minds. And this other one seems to them irrational. If you're you're not focused on profit maximization, how can you make profit? Well, it's the paradox of profit, just like it's the paradox of happiness, as Viktor Frankl taught us. The more you pursue happiness, all you get is, and even Sean Acor, who was one of our speakers here, right? That does not lead to happiness. It's one of those things best pursued obliquely. You do the things that lead to that, right? So you do the things that create value, and then you harvest the value. You focus on the right actions and the outcomes. You know, the, the correct, the right outcome will will result from that. If you're driven by the outcome, as the Buddha would have said, a cherished outcome, you're going to engage in wrong actions. But again, these are concepts that are not accessible or not uh, within the frame of reference of a lot of leaders. So, but I do feel Larry Fink having having put a stake in the ground. Having also invested and put their put their money where where, where this expression is, 
They have an investment stewardship team of about 40. They're going to grow that to 75, right? Professionals who work with boards of directors throughout the year to help them think about the long-term strategy, help them think about purpose and all of these things. And they're going to do that at their own expense. And, and following them now, Vanguard and State Street are also talking about similar things. So these are the top three money managers in the world now, collectively at $17 trillion right, mm. between the three of them. So they are by far the largest investors in most public companies. And I think what Larry's trying to do is to elevate the whole game because four of those $6 trillion that they have are invested in index funds. So they're not about picking, you know, for that portion of it. They're not rule breakers. Right, so for they're that portion. They're it in. For that portion, they have to be, right? Or that's almost what their pension funds, et cetera, they are want to be invested. Yeah. But you can lift, you know, as I say, rising tide. They're trying to lift the whole tide. If everybody operates this way, yeah, the, the differential across companies won't be as great between a conscious company and a not conscious. But the so-called side effects, the negative consequences of the traditional way of doing business will go way down. And we can't absorb those anymore. We have actually, it's like a sponge that has filled up to capacity. The society and we human beings can no longer absorb the toxic side effects of that narrow, selfish, instrumental way. Okay, and I want to come back to that, Raj. But there are four principles that make up These are the foundations of conscious capitalism. Now, regular listeners of this podcast will probably be able to recite, I hope, at least three of them. But since I have you two gentlemen with me this week, I'd love just to briefly trace over them. And Alexander, if you'd be kind enough just to kick us off with the first two, purpose and stakeholder orientation. Can you just speak a little bit about each of those? The idea of a business having a higher purpose is for it to look beyond just maximizing net income or profit for why it exists. When most entrepreneurs start their business, rarely do they say the only thing they want to do is make as much money as possible. It's not to say making money is bad. You need profit for a business to survive. You need a sustainable revenue model in order for the organization to grow and to have an impact. But there's some deeper value that a business should try to achieve in the world, some problem that the entrepreneur is trying to solve. And that's the driving force behind a business. That's what business leaders should really lean into and that they should articulate and make decisions for their organization based upon. That's what it means to have a higher purpose. What about stakeholder orientation? So this is the idea that businesses touch many different types of groups. They have shareholders, investors customers, employees, vendors, the community, and perhaps other different groups that they impact. And historically, businesses taught that they should only focus on shareholders, that that's the one stakeholder group that matters. Every other stakeholder group is a means to serving the shareholders' ends. When we talk about stakeholder orientation, we're talking about businesses thinking of every stakeholder group, and instead of seeing it as one group taking from another if they benefit, finding win-win-win solutions so that when you benefit one stakeholder group, you're benefiting another at the same time. Instead of looking at giving customers a discount or giving employees a raise as somehow taking money from shareholders, how does that actually help shareholders out in the long run? How do you make sure that you're integrating the interests of all of these different groups with one another instead of seeing them in conflict? So things aren't really zero-sum, are they, Raj, out there? Oh, absolutely not. That's, I think, the biggest sort of mental uh, leap we have to make. Business is the ultimate win-win game in the world. That's the, the whole beauty and the magic of, of, of free markets and capitalism, right? We, we create a lot more from the outputs far exceed the inputs. And we, unfortunately, we are rooted in this military metaphor in business, right? The, the language and the way of thinking and the way of organizing and the way of leading all came from the military, Right? The hierarchy, command and control, 
strategy, tactics, operations, front lines, headquarters, line, staff, you know, boots on the ground. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the terminology is so deeply embedded right. in us. And so we think about business as a kind of war in many cases. I mean, you've seen that a lot, right? I mean, that energy exists tremendously. Part of it is excessive, hyper-masculine energy that's been driving the world at large and certainly businesses as well. Um, so, you know, we need to move past that. You know, other people think of business kind of like a machine. It's dehumanized, right? It's inputs, outputs, human resources. We call them resources. Human <laughs> beings are not a resource. Human beings are the source of a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Other people have reduced it to a math problem. There's economists or finance people. It's just numbers. Maximize this one thing. Well, it's a complex, living, interdependent system. And you can't just focus on maximizing one thing because that inevitably will lose will lead to the decline of the uh, the flourishing of that whole system. And some people treat it just as a game. Business is a game. You know, you win some, you lose some, you know, you play bets, and what's the big deal? Well, there are human lives at stake, right? So there's a lot more at stake than what typically would be involved. So business is one of the most human things that we do, and therefore we have to put human flourishing, you know, as Herb Kelleher puts it, the business of business is people, yesterday, today, and forever. And that's it. Human flourishing is the highest value. That's the ultimate goal. Mm. And planetary flourishing, of course, alongside with that, because the two go together, obviously. Profit serves that. It's not that people serve profit. Profit should be serving human flourishing. I think we've lost sight of that. There's an expression in India that if you cannot respect the way you earn it, money has no value. And if you cannot use it to make people's lives better, money has no purpose. Mm. And yet the way in which we go about making money the sole objective, and then what we do with it. It's not serving us. Human beings are not flourishing as a result of that way of being in business. And the data are out there, then they're startling and they're shocking. Uh, Jeffrey Pfeffer of Stanford has a new book out called Dying for a Paycheck, which documents in great detail all of the consequences on people's well-being of the traditional way of Mm. operating in business. And they have estimated through a pretty sophisticated methodology that there are an extra 120,000 deaths a year in the U.S. that are directly attributable to the way in which we run business, Mm. okay? So think about that. There are 400 people dying every day. Now, that should be on some balance sheet or some, (laughs) you know. That's not counted, right? We, We measure everything except human suffering. And there's an inordinate amount of unnecessary human suffering that goes on because of that way of thinking about business. And so that puts me in mind then of the other two foundations of conscious capitalism because Alexander the suffering that Raj just spoke to the undocumented when you think about it and I hadn't really but it's a really good point suffering that happens is often because two things aren't working very well and that's why conscious capitalism principle number three conscious leadership servant leadership the leadership that drives these higher purpose organizations that are trying to orient all their stakeholders toward a win to the sixth power um And then the fourth is also conscious culture. So both of these things, if they're not right, um, create a lot of hurt out there. Can you speak briefly in your own experience or your thinking to both the leadership portion and then the culture portion? What I think conscious capitalism's emphasis on both leadership and culture points to is how you need these principles to be articulated and supported from both the top down and the bottom up. Conscious leadership means the people who are running the organization at the quote-unquote top need to be the best versions of themselves and the best embodiments of the values of the company they can possibly be in order to create an environment that allows people to flourish within it. 
So a lot of times we think of business leaders as being analytically intelligent, which is necessary for you to succeed in business. A lot of people also talk about emotional intelligence nowadays, understanding the ways that we are feeling, how others are feeling, and the impact of our relationships with them. Conscious leadership needs to add two more types of intelligence as well, though, which is systemic intelligence, how you can actually take that emotional intelligence and apply it not just to one-on-one interactions, but interactions with 100, 1,000, 10,000 individuals, which becomes more challenging. Being a scaled thinker and a scaled actor. At an emotional level as well as an analytically intelligent level. And even beyond that, having a sense of spiritual intelligence where you embody the values of the business and the way that you think the business ought to simply be, which is even more challenging. Mm. But then on the other side, we need the right culture in a business in order for people to thrive. That means looking past the strategy or the business plan that's been put down and looking at the day-to-day interactions people have with one another, the ways that they talk to one another, how they make decisions, what's being done when managers aren't looking, and the ways that we're able to create cultures of trust, authenticity, and caring in businesses so that people don't feel as though this is somehow separate from their regular life, but embrace it as one of the most important aspects of their life and love it because they see the value in it. They feel themselves growing from being a part of the organization. Mm. So just to summarize then, higher purpose, full stakeholder orientation, conscious servant, if you will, leadership, and then that conscious culture, which you spoke so well to uh, Alexander. Raj, you and I have discussed how consciously capitalistic public companies uh, tend to outperform over the years. We are a podcast often talking about investing to investors, so I want to go that direction briefly. Raj, what, what are a few factors that you think investors can, using your pattern recognition, can see and look for in companies before buying shares? A few factors that would explain some of that outperformance that we've tended to see from these companies that really get it. Well, some of that data is easily available, some is not. So it's not as uh, as um, straightforward as you would like. Yes. Under the public reporting requirements, for the most part, it's looking back at what we did, mm-hmm. right? the financial. It's not looking at the leading indicators of what, what really drives performance. And those really have to do with the stakeholders. So employee, uh, not just engagement, but passion and passionate commitment, right? Now, there may be data that you know, companies have that they, if they engage with Gallup and they know internally, but it's not reported externally. We know the aggregate numbers. We don't know what the company-by-company company numbers are. Now, you can go to places like Glassdoor, et cetera, but there's a statistical validity issue there as well. But it's, certainly, it's a signal. Uh, if you're on the Great Places to Work list, that's 100 companies, and there are many regional lists as well. So I think showing up on some of those lists is certainly a good proxy. Mm-hmm. Because if it's a good place to work, chances are they have good values. They probably have some sense of purpose, even if they have not fully articulated it. Uh, so typically, that is one of them. And the other one is on the customer side. So on the customer side, there are things like net promoter score that talk about to what extent people would recommend. Right. So if we have those two stakeholders working well, mm. that's a good harbinger of future performance. Right. As we say, those Doug Rao likes to say, those are like the two wings of the bird. Mm. Customers and employees go together, and if both are happy, and there are instances where one is much happier than the other, but if both are pretty good then you know, we've got a good indicator that this company is likely to outperform. And Doug Rao, a former leader of Trader Joe's, which is a company that I think flies pretty well with both of those wings. So, Alexander, I'm thinking some of my fellow fools out there listening um, are already involved, and some of them are actually very involved in conscious capitalism. But if I'm a listener hearing of this for the first time, what, what's a next action for me to learn more or to get involved? 
So for anyone who's just learning about conscious capitalism for the first time, you're not really sure what this means or whether you want to get involved or not, just go to our website, ConsciousCapitalism.org. Read up more about conscious capitalism. See if there's an event in your local area. We have over 40 chapters around the globe Mm. that put on events on a regular basis for you to learn more. That's a great introductory step. If this sounds like something that you're energized by, maybe you've been practicing conscious capitalism and haven't realized it for a long time, though, then jump right in. Go check out our website to find out about our upcoming conferences or CEO Summit that's taking place in Austin this October, or even come out to one of our new site visits where we're actually bringing business people to other companies in our network to learn more about their practices. We're going to be visiting Barry Waymuller in Wisconsin in a couple of weeks to learn about their Everybody Matters philosophy, which you can learn more about in a book by Raj Sisodia and their CEO, Bob Chapman, called Everybody Matters, as well as Grayston Bakery in Yonkers, New York in June, where people can learn about open hiring, the idea of giving people second and third chances in life by just giving them a job and seeing if they're able to perform. Mm-hmm. We'd love to get more people involved and want to teach them about conscious capitalism, as well as share their stories with the world to, to show how business can be this tremendous force for good. All right. Well, the conversation continues, but first, it's time to get your retirement on track and fix your 401k with Bloom. That's Bloom with three O's. Sounds tough. Well, it's not. In fact, it only takes five minutes. Go online to bloom401k.com slash fool and simply connect your existing 401k in a few easy steps. And then sit back and relax while Bloom performs an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account and chooses the best mix to meet your goals while minimizing hidden investment fees. Getting your investments right doesn't have to be hard, doesn't have to be painful or time-consuming. Bloom researches invests, manages, monitors, and grows your 401k while you relax. Bloom's pricing is $10 a month regardless of account size. With Bloom's free analysis, you can see the impact they can make on your 401k before you even pay. Bloom is so simple. In fact, the hardest part might just be remembering there are three O's in Bloom. Go to bloom401k.com fool and enter promo code fool for your first month free and see the difference. Bloom could make in your retirement. Now, Raj, earlier you spoke briefly to kind of feminine values, and I've seen you give a wonderful talk at Conscious Capitalism events about the importance and the emergence of more feminine values, both in the workplace and in our culture, and I'd love for you to share some of those thoughts right now. Yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, human society for millennia, just about forever, really has been pretty much run by men based on a limited set of masculine values. You know, there are many beautiful and and, uh, uh, admirable masculine qualities. Uh, Strength, courage, resilience, discipline, focus. You know, these are the things that we want. But at the same time, we have hyper-masculine qualities like domination, aggression, ambition, winning, results at all costs, hyper-competition. You know, everything a form of war. Everything is a battle, right? And unfortunately, too much of our history is is characterized by that. Mm. So if you look at European history, until the year 1946, there were 1,200 wars in 600 years just within Europe, right, between European nations. 1,200 wars in 600 years. Since mm. 1946, there have been zero between European nations, right? So there is something fundamentally that's changing. And I think a big part of that is, to me, the awakening of the feminine side. So not only women, but also the feminine within all of us. 
the recognition that caring, compassion, these are things that make us human. That vulnerability is an ability, it's not a liability, right? As it's right in the word. And I think we're starting to see that finally in this century, as we say in the 19th century was the end of slavery and the 20th was the end of totalitarianism. This is the end that we believe of the sidelining of the feminine and of women and the great equalizer being education in a world where more and more things that we do require higher levels of education, women now make up almost 60% of college students across all industrialized nations. They outnumber men everywhere in the world except South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. And they're getting higher grades and they graduate at a higher rate. So white-collar professions will certainly be statistically dominated by women and with that will come a rising tide of women leaders, which already is happening. And with that will come a shift because in the past, the only way women could succeed as leaders in a masculine world was by being tougher and more aggressive and more ruthless. An iron lady, if you will. Iron lady syndrome, right? Margaret Thatcher, Indira, Indira Gandhi in India was known as the only man in her cabinet, <laughs> even though she was the only woman. But now we're starting to see many leaders, including men, by the way. I mean, you'll have Kip Tindall and, and John Mackey and others talk about love, you know, and Ron Sheik and many other CEOs in our network, but certainly also women leaders like Indra Nui and others, you know, which are leading from that sense of authenticity. They don't have to pretend to be something different. They're, and the research that is uh, uh, increasingly McKinsey's research, How Extraordinary Women Lead, and also the book by the BCG uh, people, The Athena Doctrine, 60,000 interviews, 30,000 asking what defines good leadership, hmm. and 30,000 asking what is considered masculine, what is considered feminine, because the language sometimes is, is unclear. And finding strong correlations between what is considered good leadership today and the so-called feminine qualities. And also a strong correlation with happiness and feminine qualities and with morality and ethics. So the case is becoming overwhelming that we need men and women alike. It's not about abandoning the masculine and now going all the way to the other pole. That's a mistake we often make, right? We are bipolar. We need to integrate the polarities. We need to have the mature masculine in conjunction with the mature feminine. That's the whole person. Right, as Martin Luther King said, we must be tough-minded and tender-hearted at the same time. And that combination is really what's needed. So the wholeness that comes from integrating, for recognizing what is our default. And by the way, for many women, the masculine might be the default, either because of cultural orientation or just okay. wired that way. Yep. And for many men, the feminine, so-called, might be the default. But you still need both. Mm -hmm. right? As we say, you need to be the wise fool of tough love. You need the toughness and the loving. You know, simultaneously. So becoming whole is part of that. So that's what that work is about, bringing more feminine, which is what's lacking and what's been uh, sidelined and denigrated and suppressed. As our friend Lynn Twist says, it's like the bird of humanity has been flying for millennia with one wing tied behind its back, the feminine wing. And the masculine wing has had to be aggressive and, you know, and yes. overexpressed and almost you know, resorting to violence to keep us afloat. And now, when both wings are soaring, we can rise higher and go further without all of that and a very, suffering. a very optimistic note and backed by, I think, societal forces that are making it, if not inevitable, highly likely. Raj, uh, in conclusion, first of all, I've, I'm sure some of our listeners are hearing things like gongs and cymbals and things because the action is about to heat up again for our conference, so I need to let you go. But um, Firms of Endearment is a book that many who will know your work will have read is that the first place I should go if I want to get more from you? Are you working on anything new? How do I learn more about Raj's thinking? Well, 
There's my website, rajtasoria.com. Uh-huh. <laughs> but what I'm working on now is a book, which actually is an out, offshoot of the last two books. So I did a book called Everybody Matters, right? Which Bob Chapman, the CEO of Barry Waymiller. And that was about putting people at the center. As Bob said, every, everybody is somebody's precious child. Okay, if my friend's daughter came to work at my company, I would make sure that she's happy, safe, fulfilled, growing, thriving, right? Mm-hmm. Well, everybody who works for us is somebody's precious child. So why do I not treat them that way? So that idea and... and, and People in this, they're, they're an industrial machinery uh, manufacturing company and uh, tremendously cyclical in these small industrial towns. And most of their people under previous ownership, because they've acquired close to 100 companies now, mm-hmm. have gone through multiple layoffs over the years, have been treated to brutal work environments. It's mostly middle-aged blue-collar men, right? And have suffered greatly and almost in a state of post-traumatic stress. And they come along, Barry Vemula comes along and buys these companies and suddenly their lives are transformed. Mm. The Wicked Witch is dead. <laughs> All hail Dorothy. <laughs> All hail, hail Barry. Well, but I remember that uh, in, in a town called Phillips, Wisconsin, which we we're going to visit actually in a couple of weeks as part of that trip we talked about, uh, population 1,400 and 650 work for the Barry Wimler hmm. company there, PCMC. And the mayor of that town pointed to Bob Chapman and said, that man saved our town. If it weren't for him, this town would have been wiped out because 650 jobs in a community of 1,400 pretty much means everybody depends on that company. Yeah. Right? So again, he's giving people a future and he's growing still at 10 to 15 companies a year and he's not doing it because he needs the money. Okay, I mean, He's 72 and he's, I only have so much time left. When I'm on my deathbed, I will not be proud of the machines we made or the money we made. I will be proud of the lives we touched. Mm-hmm. And this to me is sort of the guiding energy behind conscious businesses. We grow in, in sort of in the way that a ministry grows. It's like a healing ministry that's spreading. You don't grow because of ego and power and you want to be bigger than so-and-so and you want to have a bigger yacht or a bigger house or a bigger <laughs> whatever. Right? There's no limit. There's no end to that game, right? You're playing another game. This is not empire building. This is spreading a healing ministry. So that idea of healing was was inherent. All the stories we have in that book are about these people who cannot believe Mm. the kind of life that they and their children and their future generations will now have because this leader came along and gave them that, you know, their future back. It's wonderful. And that idea of healing as as a as a purpose, you know, I've been using that as an acronym to define a great purpose. It's heroic, evolving, aligning, loving, inspiring. I've got an acronym for everything. Okay. This is something that didn't come through on this week's podcast, but anybody who looks at Raj's work will find his fondness for acronyms. And not just three or four letter acronyms, Raj. No, no, You're willing no, to go good. there and bring out seven, eight, I don't know, yes, 12 yeah. sometimes. I don't even know. but It's, it's the full it's, scrabble. You know? <laughs> really quickly, give us healing. And then, then healing let's, is a heroic, evolving, aligning. Loving, inspiring, natural, and galvanizing. It's not just what the articulated purpose is, but it's really that every business can be a source and a force for healing in the world because we live in a world of extraordinary suffering still. I talked about all those deaths, but not everybody dies, but people suffer tremendously, stress and heart attacks, and their children suffer, mm-hmm. communities suffer, the environment suffers. If you, I mean, all of that, you know, the cost of doing business is, is extremely high and doesn't need to be, the human cost especially, because we don't, you know, we measure everything except human suffering what goes into business, right? And so that's what that book is about, exploring this idea. And we've got some beautiful, uh, inspiring stories. We've done about 40 interviews with CEOs and others of what companies are doing in that way. Mm. You know? And most people don't think about it that way, but these companies are truly making a difference and, and impacting not only this generation, but future generations through their actions. Wonderful. Well, thank you for all the influence and inspiration that you've given so many people, not just 
um, just today's podcast, but thank you so much for that, Raj. But of course, a few decades of really hard work and enlightened uh, leadership that you've thrown that halo effect across so many different people and businesses. So thank you. Thank you very much, David. And you guys embody all of this that we talk about. I just want, you know, I want to know what FOOL as an acronym stands for. That's what I, you can tell us that next time you come on, Raj. That would be awesome. Please think about that. Or maybe Motley. Motley, that would be a good one. All right. Well, we'll leave that conversation right there. Now, I mentioned May is Conscious Capitalism Month for this podcast. And my Rule Breaker Extra for you this weekend you're going to get to know one of the great storytellers and bright lights of this movement, Ed Freeman, who was named a hero of conscious capitalism last year by the organization. Ed is a university professor, the Ellison Signey Olson Professor of Business Administration at the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business. He is a humanities person, a great thinker. He's also the nation's foremost scholar on stakeholder theory and business ethics. We covered a little bit about stakeholders with Raj and Alexander. You're going to learn more about that, some of the intellectual background behind it, and also here's some storytelling from a guy who grew up on a farm far away from the world of business schools and, uh, and a true delight. So please enjoy Ed Freeman this weekend. We'll be back with you next week at this time as well. We're going to be reviewing five stocks I picked two years ago. That's five winners in a thinking world. So we'll review that. But the real highlight of next week is I'll be joined by CEO Salim Basul of Middleby Corporation, a stock that has been a wonderful performer for Rule Breaker members. I picked it five years ago at about $49 a share. It recently tipped the scales at about $125 a share. So Salim Basul has continued to steer this little boat of his public corporation to great value and leaving a wonderful wake behind that boat. So, Middleby Corporation CEO Salim Basul will be my guest next week. All right, and you can check out past episodes of Rule Breakers and all of the Motley Fools podcasts at our podcast center. Just go to podcasts.fool.com. And while you're there, you can check out our flagship service, and that would be Motley Fool Stock Advisor. A new issue of Stock Advisor comes out the third Friday of the month with two new stock recommendations from me and my brother, Tom Gardner. You can check it out by going to the podcast center and scroll to the bottom of the page. That's podcasts.fool.com. Dot com or check out rulebreakers.com to learn more about our service that focuses on the disruptive companies of our time, companies like Tesla, Under Armour, and Mercado Libre. Again, from Dallas, Texas, I bid you adieu. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.